0: It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life.
1: Here's your host, Dominic Lawson.
0: All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, many of you reach out to us about, man, Dominic, you got to get somebody to kind of help us you know, thinking about exiting and stuff like that. Starting up is great, but some of us are at that point where we're thinking about exiting and selling our business, and that's a legit point, uh, Startup Nation. So, which is why we're very, uh, very grateful uh, to have our guest today. Her name is Michelle Siler. Uh, Tucker. She's a certified business, certified senior business analyst and certified business broker. And she's also the author of a fantastic book that will be coming out pretty soon called Exit Rich, The 6P Method to Sell Your Business for a Huge Profit. Once again, startup major. her name is Michelle Seiler Tucker. MST, how are you today, ma'am?
1: I'm great, Dominic. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh,
0: no worries, no worries. Like I said, many of our listeners uh, have definitely been, you know, chomping at the bit to kind of, you know, hear from somebody like yourself who is a, an expert in, you know, exiting and selling the business. But before we kind of dive into what you do and the book and everything, if you would just kind of share your origin story, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. So I've, I've you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. At heart, um, I've owned several different businesses Mm -hmm. and I've always, you know, had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, As a little girl, I never played with toys. (laughs) I never played with dolls, always walked around with a notebook and you would walk up to strangers and ask them a thousand questions. Gotcha. And so my mom always thought I was going to be the next Barbara Walters. Ah. Um, But yeah, so, you know, sorry, mom, I'm not Barbara Walters, but I am pretty successful. Gotcha. So I owned several businesses and then I kind of got stuck into corporate America where I worked at Xerox. Xerox actually recruited me mm-hmm. and I was there for about six months and my nickname was The Closer. Ah. So every time a salesperson couldn't close a deal, they would come to me. Gotcha. So about six months after employment, my manager came to me and said, Michelle, you need to interview for the regional vice president position over, you know, overlooking, I think it was like 95 salespeople at the time, mm-hmm. 85, 95 salespeople. Right. And she said, you'll never get it, but you should do it for the experience. And I'm like, why would I do this if I'm never going to get it? <laughs> why would I waste all my time energy, <laughs> and gene effort? Right. And she said, because of the experience, she said, you'll learn more doing this through this process than you'll ever learn doing anything else. She gotcha. said, you'll never get it because you've been here six months and you're applying against people who have been here for years and years and years. Gotcha. So I said, okay, I trust you. I'll throw my hat in the rink and I'll, I'll try out for it. So anyway, I did it. It was a three month grueling process. Mm. And, um, I ended up getting the position, Okay. Even surprised my manager. (laughs) So it was a grueling three-month process where we had to interview and demonstrate and do presentations in front of several high-level executives at Xerox. I ended up getting a position. And then I found very quickly that I wasn't doing what I love anymore. I wasn't selling. I wasn't solving problems. I wasn't, you know, making friendships that last a lifetime with my clients I was setting up a meeting to set up another meeting to just set up another meeting for a follow-up meeting. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so I'm like, I miss entrepreneurship. So I started looking for a franchise that I could buy and operate on the side. I was making six figures at Xerox with great benefits. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled across this franchise. that had two locations and my husband actually knew uh, one of the founders. And so I approached him and said, Hey, I want to buy a franchise. And I said, no, we know of you. We know of your husband. We know you're the closer (laughs) because I also knew um, friends at Xerox Mm -hmm. uh, that have worked with me. And they said, we don't want you to buy a franchise. We want you to partner with us, put us on the map, and then we'll give you a franchise. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute. You want me to quit my six-figure great benefit position for a company that has two locations? (laughs) (laughs) That's like really risky. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll I'll do. I'll try it out for six months and see how it goes you. Gotcha. So I did that. So on weekends, evenings, I worked trade shows, events, and I ended up making more money in those six months. than I did an entire year at Xerox. So then it was time to resign. And that started my franchise development, franchise consulting, um, and franchise sales business. I, I became that. their partner. Uh, but they did what a lot of business owners do. Is they focused on marketing and sales and and they had me for that and I was their closer Mm -hmm. and I sold hundreds of franchises, but they never built a a solid foundation to handle the growth. Got you. Gotcha. No, and that's what a lot of businesses do. For sure. And that's why so many businesses crumble and crash.
0: For sure. Uh, You know, you said something early that I kind of want to go back to and ask you about that. And it kind of relates to what were our conversation today, because you said that uh, you were quite inquisitive. Your mom thought you were going to be the next Barbara Walters. But I imagine when you're, when you're making those deals, you said, you know, you've been, you know, uh, referred to as the closer. When you're making those deals, I imagine. You know, there's a lot of questions you have to ask. So mm-hmm. let me ask you, what are some of those, 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 you know, key questions you should ask yourself and maybe ask uh, the people across that negotiation table uh, when it comes to making those deals?
1: When it comes to selling businesses? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I go through a series of questions. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, I, I'm always asking a business owner, why do you want to sell? Mm-hmm. The number one question for a buyer is why does a business owner want to sell? That's number one. Right. You know, tell me about your business. Tell me how you got into this business. Now, why do they want to sell is really, really, really important. Right. Because it's the number one. It's the most important to buyer because buyers are fearful that sellers are selling because they know something that the buyer doesn't know. Mm. You know, maybe the market's going down. Maybe their product is not going to be on top anymore. You know, maybe a big competitor's coming in. So buyers always weary about sellers selling. So it's very important to get to the bottom of it and find out why that seller's selling. Gotcha. And then the other important thing is to take the seller through the seller sanity check hmm. and get the seller comfortable with selling because most sell, a lot of sellers say, yes, I want to sell. But unless they've really walked through that seller sanity check and figured out how much money they need to walk away with how much money a month they need to live on, how much money a year, how long will that money last? What will they do after they sell? Very important. If we don't help them figure out what they'll do next for their beginning strategy, they'll never exit.
0: Gotcha. They'll
1: never exit because they don't know what they're going to do next. It's kind of like empty nesters syndrome. When all of your kids leave the house and go to college, the parents don't know what to do next. Gotcha. So they typically downsize, some get divorced, you know, so we really help our business owners figure out what are they going to do next and walk them through that seller sanity check. And then we ask them a bunch of other questions in which to come up with the evaluation of their business.
0: Gotcha. You know, if, if you don't mind, kind of dive more into that seller sanities check. I, th- I think that's an interesting uh, sure. thing. Kind of break that down for us if you don't mind.
1: Yep. Yeah. so like I said, we, we always want to start with. So sellers will say, "Come to me and say, Michelle, I want to sell my business for twenty million dollars." Got gotcha. you. Okay, I always ask them, "How'd you come up with twenty million?" Well,
0: mm. oh, that's what I need to live on, right?
1: Or that's what I need to pay for five dollars weddings. Gotcha. <laughs> or that's what I need to send my kids to school. Or that's what I need to buy a business or buy a boat or whatever the need is. Mm-hmm. And that's not the value of their business, right? And buyers are not going to buy pay for what you need. Buyers are going to pay for what the value brings them. So when so when a business owner tells me they need 20 million and their business is maybe worth 5 million, then we got to sit down and really look at that business owner's financials and figure out what is their lifestyle costs them a month, a year. Mm-hmm. How old are they? Mm. What's the longevity? How much longer will they live? you know, who are their dependents? Who's dependent upon that income? Is it just husband and wife or is it husband and wives and several children? Got you. So we really got to plan that out because they might say, oh, I need 20 million because that's what they think. But maybe they only need 5 million or 7 million. You follow me?
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we walk them through that financial data in order to really get a clear picture of what they need to retire on or what they need to enter the next phase of their life. Gotcha. You know, I had a client that I worked with, a, a business owner, husband and wife, and they kept sabotaging every deal. I bring yeah. them an LOI. They would find a reason to not accept it. They signed one LOI and then they sabotaged in due diligence. And I kept asking them, look, guys, you got to determine what you want to do after we sell your business. The money is there. I have the money for what you need, but what do you want to do? And finally, they said, they called me in the middle of the night and they said, Michelle, we finally figured it out. We want to open up a bed and breakfast. Gotcha. <laughs> or we want to buy a bed and breakfast. And once I was able to get them to vision, you know, visualize what they want to do next, then the next time I bought an LOI, they accepted it. We went through due diligence and we closed. Gotcha. So it's really a financial process and emotional process because I really got to walk these sellers through their financials, you know, what it's going to take. Because when you sell your business, you might be losing that income stream, right?
0: Right. For sure.
1: But there's lots of ways to keep that income stream. We can keep that income stream by doing some seller financing. We can keep that income stream. If you got real estate, we can do a 1031 exchange on your real estate for another piece of property that will provide you income stream. We can um, shelter your money and put in a tax diversion. A trust account, there's all kinds of different things that we can do to help protect the money and help you walk away with more and help you to be able to fund your lifestyle
0: when gotcha. you do retire. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I didn't think about that. You know, it's almost you almost kind of sound like not just, you know, as somebody who's, you know, selling helping selling a business, but you also sound like a financial advisor as well. Because I I would have just thought that, you know, you're just trying to sell the business. That's the goal, that's the objective. This and the other, but yeah. you really take it beyond that, like as far as like, you know, what they need to live off of, what their the goals are. And it really goes to what a lot of financial uh, planners always say you should be. Well, yeah. Know,
1: yeah. yeah. We're, you know what? I'm a yeah. CPA. I'm an attorney. I'm a financial advisor. Right. I'm a psychiatrist. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm all of it, honey, in one. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. No, we, we
0: hear- because we the Because
1: reason, the reason most brokers don't close deals, advisors close deals, they have less than a 40% chance of closing their deals mm-hmm. is because they don't do all that stuff. Right. If you don't walk through all those steps with your client, your deal is not going to close.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And I I imagine your clients are very grateful for that, that extra step, that extra due diligence for sure. Yes, absolutely. No, I thank you for sharing that. And and just for clear, when you say LOI, that stands for letter of intent, correct?
1: Yes. Okay. Thank All you. Right. I, just to make I have you. a habit of talking my lingo, and I forget to <laughs> <Gotcha>. always explain. <laughs> no, no worries. I wanted to make sure
0: we had that in for our audience for sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Michelle Seiler uh, Tucker, the author of Exit Rich: The Six P Method to Sell Your Business uh, for a Huge Profit. Once again, that book should be hitting the shelves pretty soon, and it actually has a foreword uh, by Kevin Harriton, the former, you know, former uh, Shark Tank. Uh, fame for sure. And a very uh, savvy businessman himself. Uh, But I want to ask you this, because I know you have, you know, uh, a reputation of of, of getting, you know, about averaging about 40% above uh, appraisal uh, for the mm-hmm. businesses, you know, I, I guess I'm curious, kind of a two part question. One, what goes into an appraisal of a business? And what should those business owners be thinking about, I guess? Uh, but also, how are you able to to do that? You know, how are you able to get above uh, what that appraisal price is?
1: Yep. Okay. So happy to answer that question. Sure. So, number one, I'm a mergers and acquisitions mastery intermediary, senior business analyst, and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've been in the industry for over 20 years. My company and I have done over a thousand transactions. Right. I've done thousands of valuations mm. and I've assisted thousands of clients building their business to sell. So, the way that I'm able to get a, a higher price for my clients typically, I average 20 to 40% higher sales price than what I praise the business for. Not always, mm-hmm. but on average, that's what I obtain. And there are several ways to do that. Uh, first and foremost, I evaluate the business on what I call the six Ps. Okay. And the six Ps, it's called the Seller Tucker six Ps. The six Ps are in my book, Absolutely. Exit Rich. and. I go through a process with my clients, just like I do with the seller sanity check. I go through a process of evaluating the business on a six piece because I know what buyers will pay for. Buyers will pay for synergies. There's five different types of buyers. Buyers buy synergies. And if you can get the right synergies and you have enough buyers, then you can create a bidding war and a buyer who really wants a contract, maybe a BP contract over everybody else is willing to pay more. Somebody who wants to buy that database that can be retargeted and repurposed over anybody else is willing to pay more. Mm-hmm. So I create the synergy. So the first thing I do is look at the first P. Do you want me to go through the six P's? Uh,
0: I, I can actually, you know, oh yeah, absolutely. If you would, please.
1: Okay. So the mm-hmm. first P in, in Exit Rich is people. Mm-hmm. So people is very important. And you and let me let me tell you why this is so important. Sure, there are so many businesses that are a thousand percent dependent upon that owner. and you take that business owner out of the business, there is no business. a dental practice that has one dentist, a chiropractor practice that has one chiropractor, mm-hmm. a medical practice that has one medical doctor, a photography business that has a photographer, an interior decorator business that' an interior decorator. It just goes on and on and on, and even larger businesses are sometimes very dependent upon the owner. So the most important thing to a buyer when buying a business is they're buying a business, not a job. So they want to make sure that you have the right people in the right seats. So you have tenure loyal people that are going to stay on for the new owner. And I mean the right people in the right seats. A lot of business owners have the right people, but not always in the right seat. Right. And then you also get to ask yourself the who question, who in your business opens the doors, who handles customer service issues, who handles accounting? Who handles tax issues? Who handles workers comp? Right. Who handles right. any legal issues? Who protects IP? Who deals with clients? Who handles manufacturing, distribution? The list goes on and on. The, the clue here is that you should never be next to who. <laughs> mm. So your name should never be next to who. The business needs to run without you. Gotcha. So you need to make sure you have the who's in your organization. You also need to make sure you have a management team in place, like a CEO, CFO, COO, etc. because buyers want to buy an ongoing business that, ha- that is sustainable with tenured employees. Does that make sense? It makes
0: complete sense.
1: And then the second P is product. Very important. So you need to ask yourself, is your product on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster?
0: Mm, Right.
1: And if you have a Blockbuster, then guess what, Dominic? You need to pivot. Yeah. (laughs) And you need to start asking yourself some very important questions. And I imagine some tough questions, too. Tough questions (laughs) and not transactional questions. Mm. Business owners always ask transactional questions. You need to ask transformational questions. Gotcha. So you should ask yourself, what business am I in? What business am I in? What do I do really, really well? What business should I be in? So let me just give you a perfect example to illustrate this point. Please do. Amazon. What business did Amazon start in?
0: Started in books, I believe.
1: They start in books. You're a thousand Mm. percent Correct. But so Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? We're in the book business. What do we do really, really well? Fulfillment. Mm. What business should we be in? Fulfillment. Ah, gotcha. That's why Amazon expanded their brand right. and got into the fulfillment business, which those three questions made them the multi-billion dollar conglomerate that they are right now. Right. Those are transformational questions. And because of the pandemic, it's really important more so than ever before to align yourself with with an expert that can help you see things that you can't see and ask these questions that you might not know to ask. Does that make sense?
0: makes complete sense.
1: And so then the third P is processes. So processes are typically never thought about unless something bad occurs in your company. Right, absolutely. (laughs) But processes should be thought of and designed when you start your business. And it should be designed with the customer experience in mind. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Love that movie, right? Really love that movie, yeah. So, so Ray Kroc Ray Croc is the one that grew McDonald's, but mm-hmm. he didn't start McDonald's. Right, the McDonald brothers started McDonald's, and so back in the forties when they started McDonald's you had all these drive-ins, right? Like mm-hmm. a Sonic drive-in. Right. And they would come out on roller skates and deliver your food. The problem back then is the food was always cold, the order was always wrong, and it took forever. Mm-hmm. So McDonald's says, we want to deliver a fast food restaurant concept, and our objective, our mission statement, is to deliver great quality tasting food in two minutes or less. Do you remember that?
0: Absolutely. absolutely.
1: That was their mission statement. So they said, in order to To meet our objective and our customer objective, we needed to define our processes with the customer experience in mind. So they went out to an empty tennis court, took all their employees, drew out the process, erased it, drew it again, erased it, drew it again. They did this all day (laughs) until they got the processes iron tight with who's going to take the customer's order, who's going to toast the buns, who's going to cook the burger, who's going to put the pickles on the bun, who's going to give it to the client in two minutes or less. Mm -hmm. Because they design the process with the customer experience in mind to meet their objective and their mission statement, to make sure it was productive, efficient, McDonald's, no matter where you go, Singapore, Russia, South Africa, United States, guess what? It's the same experience, right?
0: Absolutely. And, 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 because their
1: processes are consistent. Absolutely. Yep. It, it
0: always amazes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I want to get no, this point. Not, we always find that across the, the very uh, great and successful businesses, like you just said, and you illustrate it very well, you know, like no matter what business it is and no matter what part of the world it is it, that process is the same. And like most right. successful businesses have that, but I wanted to get that in. I appreciate you sharing and illustrate that, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, you're no, you're great. And interrupt me whenever you want to. It's your show.
0: <laughs> I, try I, you I try not but, to do that. I try not to do that too often.
1: <laughs> but I just think it's so important to not just make your processes efficient and productive, but to make sure it's designed with the customer experience in mind. Because when you have to satisfy customers, that means your pro- your process is broken.
0: Mm. Gotcha.
1: And your processes should also be well-documented you should have SOP checklists, standard operating procedures, right. and your employees should be trained on such. And I can't even begin to tell you, Dominic, how many large businesses don't even have their processes down. They're not even documented.
0: Yeah, I believe you. I definitely believe you. When a you.
1: buyer buys a business, they want to see your your processes, your policy and procedure manuals. Got you. So the fourth P, which is the biggest value driver, is proprietary. Mm. Right. There's six pillars for proprietary. Number one in proprietary is branding. The more branded your company is, the more you'll be able to sell it for. Who do you think is the largest brand in the world? I'm going to say Apple. You are right. You okay. keep winning the prize today. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so Apple is worth $389 billion. Right. That's not that's not taking in consideration assets cash flow, inventory, anything else. That's just their brand. They have a 389 billion dollar brand. So build your brand, build your exit. And then the other important thing is trademarks are very important. And one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is they go out and get a state trademark, but they never check the government website to make sure, that they could get a federal trademark to make sure it's available. They don't even right. check to see if it's available. They check their state, but they don't check federally. Right. And the problem is you can be in business 10 years and then all of a sudden you get a cease and desist letter in the mail, and you have to stop using that name. So business owners will spend thousands of dollars trying to t- trying to fight it, but they're going to lose because they don't have the federal trademark. So they'll end up having to close their business or change their name. Right. And if you've built the business for 10 years, you have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building your brand. Absolutely. So go get that federal trademark. It's only about 1500 to $1,700. It's worth it. Absolutely. And then patents are also very valuable. So if you have anything that you need to protect, you know, any IP, get a patent on it. And then contracts, very valuable manufacturing distribution, any type of exclusive vendor agreements or distributor agreements, the most valuable contracts of all are client contracts. But here's a caveat to that. Your contracts have to have the two sentence transferability clause. And I will tell you 99% owners never have that clause.
0: What is that clause? If you don't mind, break that down for us, Michelle. Well, the
1: clause, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but it's gotcha. basically saying that this contract is transferable. Mm. So it's a transferability clause that allows that contract to transfer to the new owner because gotcha. 99.9% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. Gotcha. So if your contracts are not transferable, your deal could fall apart. Mm. So gotcha. add that transferability language. And I'm happy to send it to you, Dominic.
0: Absolutely. Please do.
1: Of course. Please do. And so the other valuable thing in, in um, proprietary is databases. You know, everybody forgets about databases, but if you've got a database with, like, you know, I have twenty eight thousand buyers in my database, I probably have the largest buyer database in the industry. Mm-hmm. If your database can be retargeted and repurposed, then it's worth a lot of money to a buyer. Facebook paid nineteen billion dollars for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, but Facebook had a billion users, so WhatsApp knew that they could monetize that and ROI. The other most valuable thing in in business that nobody ever thinks about is real estate. Now, I don't mean commercial real estate. I mean proprietary real estate. Mm. So let me give you some examples. For sure. Let's say that you sell mattresses Mm -hmm. and you have the number one spot on Wayfair. How valuable is that to a strategic buyer who maybe sells pillowcases? Gotcha. Gotcha. Or sheeps. Right. Very, right? So that's right. what I said. In order to get a higher price for my clients, I have to identify these synergies. So let's say that you have a unique vacuum cleaner and you have patents and you corner the space on Amazon. That's huge. Let's say that you've developed a unique um, um, diet system. Right. And Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or even Oprah Winfrey have endorsed your products, and Oprah Winfrey has you listed as her favorite thing. Mm-hmm. You know how valuable that is. <laughs>
0: extremely, extremely. We just had you a can't guest pay on. for that. You Absolutely. can't put a
1: price tag on it.
0: Yeah, we just yeah. had a, a a guest on here not too a few weeks ago who was uh, one of uh, Oprah's favorite things. So definitely, it's extremely valuable, startup nation, as you very well know. But go ahead, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah.
1: Uh, I would love to get on Oprah's favorite things, Wouldn't but she doesn't all? take business. <laughs> she doesn't take business books. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to write something else. But um the, the fifth P is patrons. So that's customer, your customer base. Mm-hmm. So you wanna make sure you have customer diversification and not customer concentration. Mm-hmm. If to go to rule is 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. And that's true in your business. And you lose a couple clients. You could practically be out of business. So you want customer diversification. Also, if your business has been in business for 30, 40, 50 years, your customers are probably aging out, right? Right. So you have to replace those customers. And business buyers do not, consumers do not do business. They do not purchase products and services the way they used to. You can right. thank Amazon for that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: now you can thank COVID for that. That's true. Because- Consumers don't even want to go to the grocery store or go anywhere anymore. They can just practically get everything delivered to their home because Walmart stepped up, Target stepped up, because they knew they had to innovate in which to compete with Amazon, who owns Whole Foods. Right. So the last P, and probably one of the most important P's, is profit. Absolutely. And I always put profit last, and people ask me, Michelle, why do you put profit last? Well, the reason for that. Is because if you don't do the other five things, you're not going to be very profitable. And profit is never the problem. Hmm. Never the problem it is a symptom of not operating on the five P's. If you don't have the right people in place, or if you're the owner and you're doing everything, you're not going to be very profitable. If your product is on the way out and not on the way up, unless you innovate, you're not going to be very profitable. If your processes are inefficient not designed with the customer experience in mind and you're losing market share, you're going to lose profits. Proprietary, if you haven't protected your proprietary, you're going to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars, not to mention maybe having to change your company name or company slogans. Right. And then if you don't have customer diversification, you're going to lose market share. So profits are always a symptom, not the problem. All right,
0: Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Episode of the Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you are here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, Receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. For sure. For sure. No, I, I appreciate all of that. Uh, For sure, Michelle. And also, I want to ask one last question about the book before we transition, because Startup Nation, when you read uh, Exit Rich and you you will see those six P's, but also in that same part, uh, Startup Nation, you also will find the five types of buyers, which are first time, sophisticated, strategic, competitive, uh, turnaround specialist and private equity. Kind of, you know, really quickly, kind of talk about the distinct natures of all of those, if you would, uh, Michelle.
1: Sure. Sure. And when you buy the book, there's a negotiations chapter, um, in exit rich. that tells you how to negotiate with each buyer. Absolutely. <laughs> what their strong Absolutely. points are, but first time by ni- 90% of buyers are first time buyers, mm-hmm. first time buyers buy smaller type businesses. Um, they typically have so much saved that they can put down for SBA or they can do seller financing or they do redirection may- meaning that they redirect from their 401k to purchase a business without paying taxes and penalties. Um, the way you work with first-time buyers is is not the way you work with other buyers. They're very slow to pull the trigger. Some of them will never pull the trigger. So right. you just don't want to put a lot of energy unless you know they're going to make a decision. Um, and then the second type of buyer, uh, which is really the, some of the buyers that will pay the most money for your business, mm-hmm. are strategics and competitors. So strategics and competitors buy synergies. Hmm. They buy synergies. They buy something they don't have. Let me give you an example. I was selling a, a oil manufacturing business and we appraised it in a $9.8 million range. Now, in this case, Dominic, we got our client 65% more than the 40% more, but we got a client 65% more than the appraised price. So we it was marketed, it was appraised in a $9.8 million range. Mm-hmm. We had probably about 550 buyers. We narrowed it down to 12 buyers. We had LOIs from all 12. And we found a strategic. This buyer had similar products and services, but not really competitive. And my seller had 60% of the revenue tied up in the BP contract. Mm. The buyer had been trying to get in the BP for years with their current products and services and never could get in the door. you. Gotcha. They were willing to outbid everybody else to buy that contract to get their products and services in the door because they knew they could ROI it. So they paid. $15 million for 70% of the business, which was 65% more than what that business appraised for. Hmm. So, strategics, that's why it's so important to know the synergies. What are the synergies in the business and what synergies are the buyers looking for? And in many cases, we can create a bidding war. So, those are strategics competitors. The third type of buyer is sophisticated serial entrepreneurs and they're industry agnostic they're more EBITDA-specific. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. And they buy cash flow. They chase cash flow. They don't care about the industry. Um, and then you have turnaround specialists who buy distressed assets. And there are a lot of turnaround specialists right now buying distressed assets because of the pandemic. And then the last type of buyer, which also buy synergies. These are pegs, private equity groups, private equity groups by two ways. They buy based upon platforms or add-ons. So let's say they want to get into food manufacturing and mm-hmm. they've never been in food manufacturing. They're not going to even consider a company unless it has over $3 million in EBITDA. Mm. They won't even consider it. Now let's say, Dominic, they're already in food manufacturing and let's say they're in frozen food manufacturing and they want to pick up more frozen food companies. They will consider those add-ons under a million dollars in EBITDA because I already have a platform to support that.
0: Gotcha. And, and, really, quickly, you buyers. For sure. and mm-hmm. really quickly, I want to put this in there. EBITDA startup nation is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization. Just wanted to get that in there uh, as well. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, that's fine. That's the five types of buyers.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no.
1: and the way you negotiate with them is very different.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, once again, startup nation uh, for sure. We are talking to uh, Michelle Siler Tucker, the author of the Six P Method to Sell. I'm sorry, Exit Rich: The Six P Method to Sell Your Business for a Huge Profit. Once again, it's a very interesting book, Startup Nation, that you definitely want to put uh, in your entrepreneurial t- uh, entrepreneurial toolkit, especially those who are thinking. Uh, about exiting. And, and speaking of that, I, I'm curious about something because you know you you analyze businesses all over the world and stuff like that. I, I guess I'm guessing curious about what industries are you int- uh, not not interested in but are excited about. Like, what are some of those industries that are coming around the corner that are that maybe are here now but haven't really hit its full potential? What are some of those industries you're excited about right now, Michelle?
1: So I'm I'm always excited about manufacturing because I have more buyers for manufacturing than probably anything else. Understood. I'm always excited about e-commerce because because you know e-commerce was big before, but since the pandemic, um, e-commerce has really really exploded. Absolutely. And we have so many buyers for e-commerce SaaS businesses. We have people knocking down our doors trying to buy SaaS businesses. I'm really excited about the millennials and some of the um, new businesses and ideas and you know, unique, um, startups that they have created because I've got some millennials that just have created businesses that you would have never thought about. <laughs> mm. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm like a kid in a candy store. I can't wait to find out, you know, how somebody started their business. Uh, I'm, I'm listening. I'm selling a company right now for $60 million. They got an eighth grade education. They started a business out of their truck. Wow. wow. And they do $12 million in EBITDA. Got you. Yeah, so those are the things that really, really, really excite me. And also, just to let you know, Exit Rich was also endorsed by Steve Forbes. Absolutely. And it's an Inc. original.
0: Absolutely. And
1: Sharon Lecter is my co-author, who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki, Mm -hmm. and also wrote several books in the, um, the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Plus, she was an advisor to Obama. And she's a literacy expert, and she's advisor to several other presidents.
0: Absolutely, and, and, and once again, startup nation. Like I said, like just like Michelle said, this book has been endorsed by uh, a lot of amazing people. We're talking about David Meltzer, we're talking about uh, Shell Snap Connor, just uh, uh, Jeff Hoffman, just a number of people. Uh, les
1: brown my favorite motivational absolutely. speaker of all time absolutely.
0: how dope is he he's really awesome
1: <laughs> he was on my podcast and he is dope absolutely absolutely.
0: yeah <laughs> that's sure. right you know tell us about your podcast i was going to get to that but kind of share with the share with the audience your podcast and where we can find it and sure. and, and the type of content they can find there
1: sure so my podcast is exit rich mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of like my book Um, I do solos where where I just give content, content, content to help entrepreneurs plan their exit and help them build a sustainable business. Um, But I interview people as well. Like I've had Les Brown. I've had, you know, Frank Schenkwitz, who was a founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, I also interview Jeff Hoffman, who founded the airport kiosk. He also founded, was one of the co-founders of Priceline. Mm -hmm. I interviewed Alex Stern, who found, found a constant contact. So I love to bring entrepreneurs on my show that have creative ideas. You know, I love to talk to Jeff Hoffman about people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love to interview people from the six P's like, who, Like, if I'm going to interview somebody about people and and how to interview employees and stuff, Jeff Hoffman's my guy. Gotcha. (laughs) So I always look at if I'm going to interview about product, Kevin Harrington's my guy. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I try to pick somebody who I feel is very synergistic uh, with the six Ps and who have really, you know, knocked it out of the park.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. That particular P. For sure. For sure. I'm, I'm curious about something because we were talking before. Uh, We went on air, you know, you're you're there in New Orleans. I'm curious about the entrepreneurial climate there in New Orleans. What's going on down in the, you know?
1: Yeah. So New Orleans is, you know, like you've never seen it before. Gotcha. Um, Bourbon Street is dead. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were moved to phase three and we're back to phase two and Bourbon Street is dead. And it's just, I mean, you've never seen New Orleans like this. right? Um, There are some restaurants open, you know, I think the bars have closed back down. Um, and then even the saints, I mean, you know, the same, the dome can hold 150,000 and then our mayor was only allowing 750 people. And now I think she's up to like 7,000. Right. Um, but it's, you know, as far as the economic client climate, you know, it's like any other city and state, mm-hmm. some businesses are thriving. Some businesses are dying. It depends upon the industry. Right? right. Restaurants are really, you know, it's tough for restaurants, no matter where you are. Um, but there's restaurants that are really taking this opportunity to ask themselves, what business are we in? What business should we be in? Absolutely. Like Commander's Palace. I mean, Commander's Palace is, is a world renowned restaurant that's famous, and they they're not in the restaurant business. They're in the experience business. They deliver experiences, and they can and connections. So what they did is they started. They put together a wine tasting, and so for 150 to 500 dollars, you can buy it each. You can buy a package if you don't live in New Orleans. And you can go to your local wine store, local cheese store, get wine and cheese. They bring the Sommelier on and they um, go through the different wines and cheeses every week. Mm-hmm. I don't have like 1500 people on a Zoom call. Got you. They're making money. Absolutely. <laughs> so
0: Absolutely.
1: they figured out a way to innovate. They figured out a way to still create those experiences, even though you can't do them in person.
0: Right. And, you know, and and that's the thing that we're we're seeing a lot of, and I appreciate you illustrating that, Michelle. we are seeing a lot of entrepreneurs who are doing that uh, in the COVID era, as I guess we're kind of calling it now, uh, where they're just innovating, where, you know, maybe, uh, you know, pre-February, their business model was one way, and now they've innovated and, and gone in a different direction. But I think it just goes to show that, the best entrepreneurs are like at, at their core, just problem solvers. They solve a problem, yeah. no matter uh, what's thrown at them, whether it be, uh, you know, declining sales or a, I guess a world pandemic, uh, but they know how to right. pivot. They know how to problem solve. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Sure. Most do, you know, most do that. The problem that entrepreneurs are finding themselves in is a, they, they panic. They're getting right. stuck. Right. And you can't panic. That's the last thing you should do is panic. You know, like I said, you know, if if you can't figure it out on your own, call somebody, figure it out. Call me. I love to help business owners. I mean, my whole thing is, you know, saving one business at a time to help save the American economy. Absolutely. And I I don't just sell businesses. I buy businesses and flip them. I also partner with business owners, investing my money, core competency expertise, and I help put them on a build to sell program.
0: Gotcha. You know, I'm I'm curious about something because, you know, you were talking about, you know, our economy and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, you know, that that topic can get kind of de- uh, divisive, especially now with the pandemic and, and stuff like that. In your opinion, you know, what are some of the things that we can do in this covid era you know, besides, you know, um uh, you know, keeping businesses open and supporting small businesses. What are some of those things, in your opinion, you think we can do to kind of keep the economy moving forward, even with everything going on? Be,
1: besides pivoting and besides supporting small businesses? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um,
0: yeah. <sighs> I know it's a big question. I'm sorry.
1: It is a big question. <laughs> no, it's okay, because I might have a big answer for you. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> But I think, you know, again, it goes back to my six P's. Gotcha. If you have a solid company and all all of your eggs in one basket, then you can weather this storm. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a solid company and your foundation is not built on those six P's, then you have to align yourself. Look, the people who are successful, like Jeff Hoffman, you know, Alex Stern, Kevin Harrington, myself, Steve Forbes, Mm -hmm. Sharon Lecter, you know, the more successful somebody is, the more time and money they have to help other people. Right. Does that make sense? It makes complete and sense. And so so you really you really need to reach out to one of us because there's lots of things that you can do. If you if you're like if your product is dying and you're like, oh my God, what can I do? Then reach out to somebody. Maybe you can be acquired. Maybe you can merge with somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. I once merged an advertising company. That was practically going out of business. It was worth $10 million, but they have five clients because they catered to the casino industry Mm. and they had all this talent, you know, this, this expensive talent, these marketing people, and they lost three clients out of five. They had two clients left. Mm. They were practically out of business. So I merged them with another advertising agency that was diversified and had a bunch of clients, but didn't have the talent. Got you. So call somebody like me because there's always a way to figure it out. There's always a way to skin this cat, you know, rather it's an acquisition, rather it's a merger, rather it's maybe selling to a turnaround specialist, right? You know, there's always a way to get you out of this situation. You don't have to be stuck.
0: For sure. You definitely don't have to be uh stuck startup nation. I, I want to ask you uh, a question because, you know, I, I'm on your LinkedIn page and I know you've done some work, you know, your last book, you, um, some of those proceeds went to St. Jude and stuff like that, and you were talking about Make a Wish earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, do you ha- is there something a story or something about you just have a soft spot for kids who are kind of going through stuff? Kind of talk about that a little bit. Seems like there's a theme there.
1: <laughs> wow, you're pretty good. Huh? I try. I try. <laughs> Yeah, there is a theme. I do have a soft spot for for children, for mm, sure. Gotcha. Um, you know, Eric Trump, I spoke on stage with Absolutely. numerous times, and he got me involved in St. Jude's. And um, Frank Shankwitz is a good friend of mine who started Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I, I have always had a soft... A soft spot in my I can't talk a <laughs> soft far in my heart for children gotcha. in fact I'm starting Tucker teens and tots okay and so a percentage of all of our sales will go to my foundation along with St Jude's and some other ones and this is going to be an organization that provides entrepreneurial mentorship, entrepreneurial skill sets, real lessons um, entrepreneurship placement, job placements, business partnerships, and even business ownerships mm. for abused and neglected children.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I think
1: these children get lost in the system.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if they, if, if, if one person could have one entrepreneur mentor, and remember, the more successful somebody is, the more time and money they have to give and the more they want to give. Right. But if one children could have one entrepreneur or mentor, that could change your life forever.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I
1: don't believe they change. They teach entrepreneurship in school. There's very few colleges that teach entrepreneurship. You know, kids. I'm in four. I'm right in between four colleges in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I have a waiting list for interns that want to come work here. Gotcha. And all my interns say, "Michelle, I learned more with you than I've ever learned in college. I ever learned from anyone else."
0: Isn't it funny when you hear? Because we hear stuff like that all the time. Uh, where it's right. like, you know, like you know, like you know, I've I've gone to business school. You know, you hear these stories. I've gone to business school and this that, and the other, and they have like one summer with the internship with somebody like yourself or uh or uh somebody else, and they're just like, I've learned more in one summer than I learned in two years of business school.
1: I haven't sat on it more than one week. Right there, <laughs> yeah, uh, because you know I have finance majors, I have MBAs, and they don't teach them like they don't even know how to calculate working capital, right. They don't even know what EBITDA is. They don't know what a cash flow statement is. And it's just crazy to me. So that's that's, you know, I really want to be able to give a hand up and not a handout to these children who have suffered, you know, neglect, abuse and, you know, terrible, terrible childhoods and align them with mentors, entrepreneur mentors that can really help change their path which will help change the world
0: for sure. For sure. I, I definitely appreciate that. And I wanted to bring that up because obviously here, being here in Memphis, Tennessee, St. Jude is always uh, near and dear to our heart uh, here in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. Once again, startup to make sure we're actually wrapping up with Michelle Siler Tucker, the author of Exit Rich, the 6P method to sell your business for huge profit. Once again, that book, uh, should be coming in uh, hidden stores pretty well, soon. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, can I tell them how to get the book right now? Please do, because we're in the middle of pre sales. So your listeners can go right now and purchase a book at ExitRichBook dot It is available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all these other retailers. But it's it's more expensive there. If you go to exitrichbook.com, it's $24.79, which includes shipping. You don't have to wait till the book comes out. There you go. Because we will send you the digital download to read today. Plus, you will get a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club, which you will get video training of me taking you into these deep strategies about how to build a sustainable, scalable, sellable business. Plus, all those down all those documents that you need like an employee handbook an organizational chart you know what's a non-disclosure agreement look like what's a letter of intent look like what's a purchase agreement look like what's due diligence um, checklists look like what's closing docs look like we have all of those there every document you need to build your build your business or sell your business is at exitrichbookclub.com and you can download them for free then we will also give you a 30 day membership and two club CEOs well we have hot seats masterminds of entrepreneurs all coming together to try to help each and every entrepreneur not only survive but thrive and build their business to scale and sell.
0: That's what we definitely. And
1: then when the book comes out in January, we'll ship it to your doorstep.
0: I hear that. I hear that. And once again, stop nation, that book, that link there is there in the show notes for easy access. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast. So Michelle, you've given us some, some fantastic nuggets. You know, you actually have you know nuggets in the back of the book uh, there as well. But I was curious if you would, ma'am, you know, with everything going on, just give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today.
1: Words of encouragement. Mm -hmm. Your past doesn't define you. You can be whatever you want to be. You're the star of your movie. You're the director of your movie. You're the star in your movie. You create your destiny, not your past. You don't have to get stuck in the environment that you feel you're in right now. We've all been there. There are people who truly care. There are people who will truly help you. There are people who want to see you succeed. So be the director in your movie. Be the star of your show. And go out and create something special. Go out and create your own masterpiece. Go out and help other people. Provide massive value to others. Create your own legacy. for not only yourself, but your family, your children and be able to give back to others.
0: I hear that awesome stuff. And that's going to wrap up this session of The Startup Life. Once again, we want to thank Michelle Sala Tucker for coming on the show. Thank you so much, MST.
1: Thank you, Dominic. I appreciate that. You know, everybody calls me MST.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And as always, Startup Nation, if, if, if you have an idea, be about that life, The Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play,